veteran, or military spouse of an early stage startup or a small business, you've come to the right place. Welcome to The Transition. We demystify the entrepreneur experience for veterans and military spouses who've already made or are looking to make the transition from the military into entrepreneurship. I'm your host, Iron Mike Stedman, the voice of The Bunker. I'm a Marine Corps veteran, social entrepreneur, and member of the Bunker Labs branding team. For those of you who are just starting out in your ventures, I know how difficult it can be to find an entrepreneurial community. Before I was fortunate enough to be exposed to Bunker Labs, I transitioned out of the military and just kind of kept to myself. I wanted to create an identity that wasn't solely relying upon my military background. Because I wasn't around my fellow veterans, I was actually missing out on a support network that would go on to fundamentally change my personal and professional trajectory. After a chance encounter with a friend who knew of my entrepreneurial aspirations, I was exposed to the veteran and military spouse entrepreneurial community through a program called Stanford Ignite at the Stanford Graduate School of Business back in 2017. I spent four weeks learning the fundamentals of entrepreneurship with a cohort of veterans and military spouses, which for me at the time was a surreal experience. I quickly bonded with my fellow cohort members, including fellow Marine veteran Marco Fialo. Marco had his own venture, the Community Travel Group, an all-inclusive travel company based in Ecuador that consists of a hostel, as well as tours including food, adventure, and walking. I felt like Marco was light years ahead of most of us in the program, as his venture was already up, running, and profitable. However, Marco still felt like he had a lot to learn to get it to the next level, but mainly, he just wanted an opportunity to spend time around other entrepreneurs within the veteran and military spouse community. Upon finishing the program, Marco and I managed to stay in touch over the years. He even traveled to downtown Newark to visit my boxing gym and also attend a Bunker Labs event. I reached out to Marco to be a guest on the podcast because I felt like he'd be great to talk about the challenges of running community travel group, as well as the challenges of launching a venture abroad without readily available support from the likes of Bunker Labs and other entrepreneur and accelerator programs. In the absence of a local incubator support, Marco still managed to build Community Travel Group into a successful enterprise. And on this episode of The Transition, Marco discusses the founding of the company, the trials and tribulations, and how he's managed to overcome his self-doubt as an entrepreneur. Before we jump into this interview, I want to preface this. One of my goals with this podcast is to get as many diverse stories as possible. Specifically, I'm looking for young enlisted in their early 20s who transitioned out of the military and jumped headfirst into their ventures, even if it's just a side hustle at this point. If that's you, do me a favor and shoot me a message on LinkedIn. And if it's not, but you know someone who is, please send them my way. I'd greatly appreciate it. This episode of The Transition is brought to us by the MetLife Foundation and their commitment to supporting veteran and military spouse entrepreneurs. In addition, the foundation also provides mentorship and financial health resources to veterans and military spouses transitioning into the workforce. As always, I hope you all enjoy today's show and that accelerates you on your own entrepreneurial journey. Marco, welcome to the bunker. What's going on, my brother? Nothing, brother. Just coming back. Good to hang out. Haven't seen you in a while. At least we get to see each other on camera, brother. Yeah, it's awesome. So I'm super glad to have you here on the platform. Take a moment and uh, introduce yourself to our listeners. Uh, I'm Marco Fialo, and I was born in Connecticut, live in Oregon, lived in Ecuador, uh, served in the Marine Corps, 
that's one of the ways we bonded with Mike when we met at Stanford and yeah, just opened a couple of businesses down in South America, all in the tourism industry. Things are a little bit closed down due to the pandemic, but you know, it's opening up little by little. So we'll talk about that, I guess, later. Yeah. Marco's down talking to himself, y'all. I actually met Marco at the Stanford Ignite program uh, for post 9-11 veterans in uh, the summer of 2017. And so it was a program put on by Stanford's business school to teach entrepreneurs, teach entrepreneurship to uh, veterans. And uh, I met Marco there. He was already up and running, had launched his uh, travel agency, uh, was well into the fight. But uh, it was super cool to be out there with him and Bond and get to know him. And then over the past, you know, a couple of years, we've had a chance to see each other off and on and just follow each other's own uh, entrepreneurial journey over uh, social media. But man, in the early days when I was first starting, I was just a sponge soaking up uh, Marco's knowledge from uh, actually launching uh, mm-hmm. multiple ventures through his travel agency. And, uh, you know, he, he just gave a little humble, um, a humble description of it. But the reality of it is, man, Marco's been doing this for, for quite some time. And just before we jumped on, uh, before we hit record, we, him and I were talking about, you know, how, how do I say this? You know, sometimes I think when you're starting entrepreneurship, you think you need to know like all this information, whether it's like going to business school, better yet, you think you need to have these certain stamps of approval from people, stamps of validation to say like, hey, this is what you need to be successful versus looking at some of the stuff you've already accomplished within your own life up to this point that shows you that you have everything you need already within yeah. Yeah. I think it's, in, and it's an interesting time. And we were, yeah, it was something that I was talking to you about, like the feeling of not being enough or wanting to just accomplish, you know, something bigger and bigger all the time, not being satisfied with what we have and where we are and the, what happiness and success actually means to us. And I think that was one of the things that like really has changed my perspective after these, this year and a half of the businesses uh, having to close down due to COVID, some catching some traction, having to figure it out later on. Yeah, it was a place where, you know, the feeling of not being enough and trying to just accomplish, how do I always get to this place, next place? Did they pick me at this place just because, you know, I am a person of color? You know, am I smart enough to hang with the big dogs? Or am I, you know, able to do this? Why can't I? And, you know, am I not, you know, who's being more successful than I am? And why am I chasing that? And I think now I'm finally comfortable with saying, you know what, I know what my success is going to be. I know where I'm heading to. I know what this means to me. And that's the most important part because when you know what your happiness is, whatever anybody else is doing, it doesn't matter because you got your own measure of success and you can stand up, you know, and just make sure that everybody can know, you know, where you are and what position you're on and what is happiness to you. Yeah, man. Because I remember at the time um, going through Stanford, you were working on launching a brewery as part of your your, um, hostel. And it's like, man, a brewery is badass. How many veterans and military spouses wouldn't want to launch their own brewery? And like here you were having this thing in Ecuador of all places. Um, so by all, I mean, you know, looking back, it was like you were already winning. Yeah. Yeah. No, everything was added up. Um, but it also is a grind. Right. And that's one thing that now that I'm able to like take a step back and look back. It's that self-care you got to do. But that like that we're not aware of, you know, in the military, we're grind, grind, grind. Mission essential. This is it. We're going to head this way. You know, that's my north. This is where I'm going to go and nothing's going to stop me. And I'm the same way, but now I've learned, hey, make sure you get a little bit of rest and breathe breathe well <laughs> on times. Yeah, man, that anxiousness. It's like we always got to feel like we, we can't just maintain anymore. If we're just maintaining. We feel anxious. Like we got to be doing yeah. something else. Yes. But one of the things that does, it can take away from the progress we've already made. So I'm right with you on that. 
Now, Marco, one thing I'd like you to do for our listeners is to take off your armor. You know, one thing we do on this <laughs> podcast is we get vulnerable. There's a lot of look at me keeping up with the Joneses on Instagram and social media flexing. But you and I both know that behind the scenes of running a business, it's not the sexiest thing in the world. And so yeah. I would love for you to get vulnerable with our audience and, uh, you know, let them know what you got going on. Something that you're struggling with, either personally or professionally. Um, personally, and, and both things, I mean, the hostels and business turn into be your life when you're an entrepreneur, right? The business itself. Um, for me, the struggle, closing the businesses down, letting all our employees go, that was hard. Um, this, you know, lack of, you know, your personal relationship sometimes uh, faltered during that time. And I think that was really heavy for me. Um, and just realizing that this chase of like the never ending, you know, goals were something that I was just like, you know, or, or trying to look for the next step, right? If I already did Stanford, now I want to go to MIT, I want to go to Harvard, Oxford, this pursuit of something bigger than what is there and just not being happy. And I think for me, taking off my armor is saying, you know what, like I really, during the time that I was an entrepreneur, I, you know, I, I made some bad decisions too. And that's on a personal level, um, not seeing where I was at. I wasn't taking care of myself. I was going through a lot and it piled up between uh, separating with my, my, uh, my, the mother of my child or my baby mama, we would say. Yeah, some people get offended by that and just want to be politically correct sometimes. Um, that uh, another relationship with a very important woman that I had that, you know, she's uh, that I was just going through a lot and I wasn't able to see it. And I think those are the things that when you look back, you're like, wow, I, you know, I was ended. I wasn't able to be there for people because I was too involved and I had too much shit going on. And I think that's where, you know, it, it's it's something that people will never know. They never get to see the real struggle behind that. And you got, you know, you're trying to maintain, for me, it was a relationship with my child, trying to, um, we had to let go of my, uh, my baby mama, another woman that I was with and trying to maintain a relationship with her. The businesses were not going up and down, you know, they were going well, but you know, she was involved and it was a lot. And when you don't see that pile up and you don't realize it, and it's just like a pressure cooker and people don't see that. You know, and then eventually the pressure cooker, there's too much pressure. Right. Yeah. We yeah. don't talk about that enough, man, but life goes on. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like while you're head down grinding, because you know, in the early days when you're launching and you're having some success, you're like, "Ooh," you know, you're like, this thing is yeah. actually working. We're growing. We're going. But meanwhile, you're neglecting people, you know, because your your head's down, you know, relationships may take work. Um, and it's it's just like, man, how do you balance all this stuff? Um, and it's, I'll tell y'all, man, that's something I'm struggling with right now is how do I balance my personal relationship with friends and family while also running a for-profit and a non-profit and, oh, by the way, taking care of ourselves, you know, mental yeah. health, physical fitness, you know, just maintaining we're staying sharp. Um, and it's, it's, it's a, it's a constant battle, um, I think for everyone. Yeah, I have a therapist. I actually see every week, every two weeks that I've been up along a journey last year. And it's been awesome to have somebody. That's something I would recommend to anybody that has an opportunity to have somebody there go to, you know, counseling, therapy, and those things are great. Not only on the business side, but on the personal. If you can't take care of yourself, man, you can't take care of anybody else. Yeah. Right. And, you know, and that's the, that's the big lesson is, is, you know, and you got to, it's your normal to grind. We're taught in the military to grind, 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 grind. Whether you know your wife, you're getting a divorce, it doesn't matter. We're going. 
we got everything to go. And that's a mentality you maintain as an entrepreneur. And that's part of what makes you successful, right? But eventually it can drive you down the ground and you can drive relationships and people that you really care about down the ground. And I think that was a big lesson for me is like, look back, you know, make sure you take care of your people um, and, and tell them and value them, you know, let them know, don't hold back. You know, because they're the most important people, the people that you work for, your 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 spouse, if you have one, your relationship, you know, taking that time to really spend some time with them is important. Make yeah, time man. for that. I never I never knew the word boundaries. Yeah. I didn't Absolutely. even know that word existed. Yeah, I'll tell you, I got an email blocker up. You know, I'm an admin. People want to reach me. You know, they get a response saying, hey, Mike is off the grid, limited email access. Please reach out to admin if you want to speak. Um, but this is something I've had to learn over time, but you're, you're spot on with that, man. And, uh, you know, for me, my, my mental healing is really around my podcast, not necessarily the transition, but you know, my podcast confessions of a native son, I love just getting on there and just kind of like working through thoughts that are in my head, um, and meditating. And I think I'll do a whole episode on this one talking about, you know, like taking care of yourself, self-care, you know, and I'll get some speakers on here and we'll do that. But um, one thing I also want you to talk about, Marco, is in the age of flexing, I won't call it flexing, right? There's this image of what we think a successful entrepreneur is, right? We perceive ourselves as like having to be on the cover of Forbes or thinking that's what we want. That's what we aspire to be like, having the nice, slick office. You know, people walk in, they look around, they're like, oh my gosh, this place is so nice. You know, how many employees you have and how much money are you bringing in? Hmm. Um, But, you know, like we were talking before we hit record is like, you know, when you're running a small business, right? Sometimes it's not as sexy as saying like, oh, I have a $50 million venture capital fund or that I <laughs> start up and I just raise our first, you know, series A of 15 million, et cetera. But one thing you were talking about, man, is like going back to, you know, you were already winning, right? You had what, 15K coming in a month for your business? Yeah. And um, why do you think you couldn't appreciate that at the time for what it was? Um. I think I've had, and this is something that I struggle with still till today, is the feeling of not being enough. And that comes from childhood. And um, what I've discovered is there's a lot of like issues that have gone through. And it's this feeling of not ever accomplishing a goal and not feeling like, hey, there's still something more to accomplish. And you got to be bigger and better and better than the next person. And my friends are raising 10 million. My other friend has the biggest cidery in the, you know, in the, the second biggest cidery in the United States. What am I doing? I'm only doing 15K a month, right? And it's like, that's the pursuit. I never felt like I was enough. And, and I think people don't look back at the, the trauma that we go through as kids, you know, and, and some, you know, as in, in our families, with our parents, with, you know, loved ones and the stuff that comes up. And by trauma, I don't mean like something that's visible. It's just how we were raised and how our parents were raised. They weren't taught how to be a, pa- a father or a mother. Right. And so they bring you up in the best way they possibly can. Not saying that it's wrong. It's just you go through these places and you're aspiring to more. And I wasn't happy. There was one person um, and she told me, you know, all I want to do is is be happy. And I said and I was in this is how lost I was about this. I said, happiness does not feed a child. Like happiness will not feed my kid. Right. Like you got to buy diapers. How do you what do you mean about being happy? Not realizing that I was in a way the person that was happy doing his business, making enough money every month and being able to just be in a good place. I didn't get it. I couldn't see that. Even though I had everything, I couldn't see that. 
I was aspiring to be better than the next in that like toxic pursuit of glory of being in place. And, and I think that's, yeah, that, that girl is somebody that like, I appreciate value a lot, all the lessons that she taught me. Yeah, man. Well, I'm excited to do a deep dive on your story, man. This, this has been a great mm. conversation so far and I'm sure our listeners are getting a lot of value out of it. Uh, but before we do that, I got to go ahead and give a shout out to Bunker Labs, a national network of veteran and military spouse entrepreneurs dedicated to helping the military connect community start their own businesses. We're committed to seeing that every entrepreneur in the military connect community has the network tools and resources they need to start their own business. 25% of transition and service members want to start a business and they need places inside their community where they can connect with people, resources, and support they need. We're here for them. You can learn more by checking out our website, www.bunkerlabs.org. Also, be sure to register at Bunker Online, our social network for the military connect community where Bunker Lab staff helps make connections to increase your opportunities. You can register today by clicking the connect button at bunkerlabs.org. Now, funny story, right? Marco and I uh, both got connected with Bunker Labs at the same event. One of our classmates at Stanford Ignite, Justine Evers, was a city leader at the time for Bunker Labs. Yeah. And uh, after we completed the Stanford Ignite program, which is four weeks long. They taught us everything we need to know about how to basically launch a bench, a venture. Um, and we were so burnt out from pitching and speaking about our, <laughs> I just remember uh, the last day uh, we, we had like this big pitch day. We all pitched and got feedback. And then afterwards we all went to this bunker bruise and none of us had any, like we were so exhausted from pitching. People were coming up to us like, Hey man, what's your venture? And we're like, uh, let me circle back. Let me send you an email later. <laughs> I'm tired of talking about it. But uh, I've, I've had a chance to take Marco to a bunker event in New York City. Um, so I'm yeah. curious to hear, you know, you're an international entrepreneur, right? Uh, your company's in Ecuador. But just from the surface, like, what was your experience like with Bunker Labs? When we were in New York, man, I thought it was like, wow. And to be honest, it was it was the shit. Like I was like, oh damn, like oh this guy's really talented. One of the guys in there was like a tech guy. Somebody else was doing another startup, and it, it was just like I feel like I could sit here, go in here, and I could work with you. This idea could work. Would you be willing to help me out? And the resources were around me at the time. It just you know coming from a place where I didn't actually have an office back home. Like I worked out of the house, just whatever. Like I didn't have anything set up. Going into that, like the building where we were at and walking in, it just felt like you were walking into like success. <laughs> and that community feeling too, man, because, you know, it's hard. Yeah. Being an entrepreneur is hard. I can only imagine for you being out there in the wild in Ecuador as a head honcho, you know, um, and having peers that you can bounce ideas off of. Yeah, that's one of my biggest regrets is not reaching out and keeping having advisors. I think that's one of the things that sometimes you're caught up and it would be great to just look back and say, Hey man, like you've been through this before. Can you give me a shout out? What do you think this is going as somebody to bounce? It's very lonely sometimes when you're the founder at top. And even though there's all these people around you that work with you, sometimes they're, they're not going to give you the honest feedback you need. And when you're going through shit, that's not the person that might be the person you're going through shit with. And I mean, it's like, you know, you, you can't talk to them about it. Yeah, man. Yeah, man. That's why it's, I know me and him. That's why me and Marco chat back and forth on social media. You know, just yeah. that, that sense of like having that connection, man. I think a lot of entrepreneurs out there, they need that sense of connection, you know, because yeah. life is hard. Business is hard enough, let alone to go through it by yourself. So, you know, that just kind of speaks to that connection. It was so awesome to be able to take you to New York City. And the energy was just fire in the room that day. 
you know, it was a bunker bruise. We had pizza, we had beers, everyone yeah. was smiling, everyone was happy to be there. And it yeah. just felt, it just felt good, man. And uh, after we come out of this pandemic, um, I'm looking forward to, you know, getting back to a lot more in-person events. So Marco, man, take us back, take us back to, you know, how you transitioned from the Marine Corps as an E-dog and the E-dog is what we call our enlisted brothers, sisters in all. <laughs> Um, cause they're cool. Officers aren't cool. The E-dogs are cool though. Um, and, uh, talk to us about, yeah, man, how you became an entrepreneur. That's a long path. I had never thought about like higher education. And when I got out of, um, of, um, of the Marine Corps, I was lost. There is no transition. I had been doing maintenance administration. I was a 6046 maintenance admin for F-18s. I had been on like the, the, database administration database uh analysis for the for the fighter jets through Nalcomis and same program and i didn't know how to i've never had a job before the marine corps so when i got out i didn't know where to go what to do and so i was lost i took a year off i went to ecuador and then um there i just you know was like doing my thing got organized and i was like what do i do now and i met some friends and they were actually from oregon and so i had to come up to visit them and when I visited them, they were going to school. And that's when I got introduced to higher education. And I had never thought that I was worth going to a private college. They went to a private college. It's called Willamette University. And and the girl that I was seeing, she's the one that took me there. And she would take me to class. And I was like, this is pretty cool. Like, this is school. Like, you're telling me that I got to listen to this guy, this professor. I got to read a book, write a paper, and I get to party every night. I'm going to school, <laughs> you know? And so that was my transition out of, out of finally figuring out where to go and what to do. Um, but when I was living in San Diego, I was just all over the place. I did not, you know, um, I was living on my friend's couch for six months. I didn't have a really good direction. I had made a mistake of going to Ecuador, spending all my savings down there. I had a really nice car that I, as a stupid young Marine, you do, you go buy, you know, the nicest car you get back from deployment. That we call those we call those the bootmobile. And when you're a lieutenant, like I was a lieutenant at one point, I bought yeah. one of those cars, a Dodge Challenger. So I had a lieutenant bootmobile. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, mine was a Audi A4 six cylinder and it was $36,000. Mm. I had just came back and I was like, oh, this is nice. I used it for eight years. I did get my money out of it. But, you know, that money could have been used for something way more useful or long term as an investment <laughs> versus that. Yeah. But yeah, that was that. We knew. Yeah. And I, I ended up doing culinary school because it was always this, like a, a hobby of mine that I like to cook, not knowing that that would actually throw me in. And a lot of times this is a big shout out to like do the stuff that you sometimes that everybody is telling you not to do, but you want to do it just because you want to. Like I had no fucking clue why I wanted to do culinary school. I was like, you know, I like to cook. I should try this out. I've always had, had this passion. The girl I was seeing at that time, her family was involved in food and I went. I did a three-month intensive culinary course. My dad used to make fun of me. Why would you do that? You know, minority parents, they're like, I want you to be a doctor, lawyer. Why are you going to cooking school, right? Why are you doing this and that? And I was like, I like it. So I tried it out, did it, graduated, never did anything to it until the day the hostels opened. That's when it actually had an impact. And that's when I could like perform on that level, which I had no clue why I was doing it, but it actually, all my things matched up in one place. And that was in the hostels where all of the experiences that I had done. So what led you of all places, Ecuador? I know you said you had some friends down there. So that was just, that's just what it was. You had some friends or 
No, mom and dad are from Ecuador. Got it. Mom and dad are Ecuador. My family, they were, they had me here in the U.S., but they were Ecuadorian. Understood. All right. And when you were going to school out there, were you able to use the GI Bill or did you just have to pay out of pocket or take loans? In Oregon? I came back to Oregon. No, you came back to Oregon for school. You didn't go to Ecuador for school. Got it. No, I came back to Oregon. The girl I met, she was here going to Willamette University. And I met her in Ecuador, though, while she was studying abroad. And so when I arrived, I came back here. That's basically the timeline. And so tell us about this hostel. You know, you're what? First of all, how are you able to get the money to launch the hostel? Right. That's one thing that'd be cool. And just what led you to do that, of all things? So going to Willamette, there's two things that were pivotal. One is I was studying abroad in Thailand. I had six months out there. And one of those months, I decided to go to India with two friends. And while I was there, I was getting ripped off. Um, didn't speak the language, right? And it happens, we call it the gringo tax. <laughs> and, you know, you're getting ripped off. You're getting, I wasn't getting good service. There was not a food. There was not ambiance in the hostels. I was like, I can do this better. I should open up a hostel in Ecuador. And that's all I said to it and thought about it. The idea was kind of in my head. And then I came back and I was like, all right, let me figure this out. Um, and then it just kind of got more like, hey, I should do this. What do you think? And people were like, yeah, that sounds like a great idea. That sounds like a great idea. And that's where it launched. And then I went to the EBV program from UConn. And that's when I defined it at UConn. And then I did, um, that's when I started to do actual research on the whole problem. I was like, all right, there's a million, you know, there's a million tourists that come every year. There's a 10% growth yearly. Even during the recession of 2007, 2008, there's a 7% growth. This is even recession proof. Then there's, you know, we go back to 10% growth. That's 100,000 people a year extra that are coming in. Right. If you compound that and my hostel only needs 24 people. So they need to. And every year we're increasing. I can do if I can't get 24 people out of one million. I am really bad at what I'm doing. And so that was the first part of it. And then when I came back, I had some interviews in New York that I decided to go for uh, for at, um, for investment banking. And I did all that, decided against doing that and went back to Oregon and got a job at the government. Uh, at Bonneville Power Administration, but the government is so low pace. And I was just like, I turn in my work on a Friday, on a Thursday, and they'd be like, hey, you know, this was due next Tuesday. And I'd be like, well, I'm done already. And it was just not, you know, the company culture was very slow. People were just there. I felt like I just didn't fit in, you know, and that's what, you know, that was my deciding factor. I looked back into the savings account. I said, you know what? I got $40,000 in the bank. This is it. I thought about the hostels a little bit more and I had gone down to Ecuador. I was like, how do I make this work? Can I make this happen? And there it was. I just decided to grab my life savings, grab a couple of suitcases and fly down to Ecuador and make it happen. Um, that was it, man. That's basically. The, the real story. I love it. And you mentioned, uh, you briefly mentioned about the EBV. Um, mm-hmm. Can you expand upon uh, what that program was and uh, what you specifically did uh, and applied to your business? Yeah, so Entrepreneurship Bootcamp for Veterans is a program run uh, specifically by all, there's Syracuse is the main university up in New York, but after that you have uh, UConn and all these satellite universities are the ones that actually take you in. Um, Even Cornell is around because they have a hospitality um, part of it, which I wish I would have known at that time what I was going to do. But they take you through, it's a a one-month program and uh, online and then seven days in person. 
And so it was amazing. You That one month, you're kind of learning about it. It's an online education, going through the stuff about business and how to set it up. And the seven days you go there and there's like guest speakers, you're talking, you're going out doing presentations, um, you're pitching also, you're, you're kind of being taught about the basic fundamentals of what, you know, opening a business is. And it is a boot camp. It's kind of like really intense. Uh, seven days. The first month was was good too. I just enjoyed my time. And then I met Mike Zakea. He was a, a veteran, also Marine Corps, uh, Purple Heart, amazing human being, just a great person. He was like, Marco, we want you here. And I was like, awesome, man. I'd love to come by. Um, and then I keep in touch with Mike still. It's been great. But that, yeah, it just, it just catapults you in a way. They even gave us funding, like a little bit of like from the pitch competition. They were like, here's a couple of, th- like a thousand dollars or 1500 bucks from that to like go and actually you know use it for the business and they provided a person to do our website our logo all these little details that were just like this is becoming real right it's getting legs how is this working yeah man those programs are super important i think in the early stages because it 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 feels like that momentum you know what i'm saying just like you said like you're bringing this vision to life same thing when you and i went to stanford Right. I just kind of like mapped out this path. I was like, oh, hopefully I get into this program. Boom. I got it. And it's been this this constant momentum ever since. Not always like a sprint, but just like these gradual little things. And so, you know, I encourage all our listeners out there. Take, you know, take advantage of the programs within Bunker Labs. Take advantage of the Patriot Boot Camps, the EBVs. I mean, there's tons of programs out there. And maybe we'll link some of them um, in the resource page uh, in the show notes. Um, And so let's get back to you. You show up in Ecuador with a suitcase full of cash from your savings. I'm ready to buy this building. Yeah. No, fortunately, at that point, my parents actually owned the building. So I'm actually really that was like a huge catapult. It was more of taking everything out of it because they didn't use it. It needed to be redone and set up. And so that point it was like, all right, how do I get this and how do I move as quick as possible? We had a one and a half month turnaround and we were open. And so it was just like, and there was no plan. Like I literally landed and it was like, okay, I have to open a hostel. I need beds. My dad had a carpenter. Let's talk to the carpenter. I need, you know, furniture. Let me go figure out what stores are here. Given that I haven't lived in Ecuador for the last 12 years, right? Like I just landed and was like, all right, what permits? I didn't even know if I could open the hostel in the house. And so there was all these things that I was just like, go, go, go. The one thing I did know is like, all right, I have this sense of a, I want it to be surrounded. I want the experience to be around food. And that was kind of my driving guidance. And then I wanted more comfortable beds. You know, I, how do I make the beds? I know that people that are taller that are usually Americans, not Ecuadorians or Europeans, they're pretty tall. So they want a longer bed. I can't make the mattresses longer, but I can make the frame 10 centimeters longer for people to fit into them. And they were like, oh my God, this is amazing. So all those things added up and we had a group of my friends come down. They were like, dude, we're going to come and support you from Chicago. They were our first customers and they all gave us reviews online. And we were like number 500, maybe out of, I don't know if it was 500, probably like 125 out of uh, in, in the rankings on TripAdvisor. And then the first guests were these two girls that got off a plane, Carmen, and I forget the other girl's name. They were drunk and they at the airport in Quito just saw that our advertisement said artisan made beds and they were the first people to come through and actually knock on the door and say hey we're coming uh are you open <laughs> we had no sign up top there was nothing going on um and yeah they walked in and then it was just like all right a quick turnaround and success came quite quickly after that 
I, there's a lesson there. I think our listeners can can learn from too. Is you just you, you in the travel industry, right? Sometimes mm-hmm. it can be commoditized, right? There's tons of hostels, tons of hotels. Yeah. But you were like, I'm going to lean into the food. You know, you took your unfair advantage, which was that you were culinary specialist. You know, I yeah. got your education in that. And I saw the photos from the food. I remember we were at Stanford. You were showing us all like the food and stuff. And how important were you to distinguish yourself with that? And how much um, did it play off in the long run for your for your hostel? I mean, that's where I can I can outdo anybody. That's I'm very confident about my food side. Yeah. <laughs> like I come here and the thing is, I have a vision from all over the world. Right. I've traveled so much that, you know, I can bring plates and I can bring flavors. So I talked the chef that we have there, Darwin, which we trained over time, I think was amazing because while he didn't travel the world, his palate was developed through the experiences that I had already brought him flavors from when I went to Belgium doing some like dishes over there or Germany, or there were chefs at the beginning, actually at the hostels, we only took in volunteer chefs. And so that was amazing to do. And so they were the ones helping us out and then they formed him. So a chef that has never left Ecuador was actually trained by a European, like a Italian, a French chef, an American chef, a Salvadorian chef, um, people all over. So his palate was pretty developed by the end. And that's the one like thing that was like, pretty amazing that me and him had a really great connection i was like hey dude you know i need a little bit more salt and lime he's like yeah and so usually if you don't get a connection with your chef he's gonna ask how much he didn't never ask me those questions he knew how much i was asking for without just it was an innate relationship that we had that was great but that was yeah that was my biggest advantage i think till today i could probably do the side of that that was just gathering people you know yeah, and I'm sure your guests appreciated that. You know, room, food. I mean, what else do you need? And you're like, oh, we're going to add a brewery at the alcohol yeah. side of the house. Man. <laughs> Home run. Yeah, basically it was good. So talk to us about, you know, when did you, not necessarily win, but when did you feel like, all right, this is a real business? You know, like I can actually pay myself. We're growing. This is good. Probably a year out. When I started to realize like what it could do, I was, it was, it was amazing. There was actually four, uh, four people that came from my university here that had just graduated with me. And one person that had graduated a couple of years ago and I always stayed in contact uh, to help open the hostel. And that first year was kind of crazy because those girls came in and literally Mike, by a month later, we ran a 98% occupancy rate. Like there were no beds available. And we did that for about two and a half, three years nonstop and that was like an incredible like feat that we did we had five star reviews until we had hit 122 reviews we had all five star reviews they were like are you cheating the system we're like nope we've never done a review on ourselves we've never done anything all of these are our guests we just asked them to do a review and they loved it what we do we even had a i think at a certain point we had 24 beds 24 people and two bathrooms our internet sucked but they loved the sensation of like sitting together, having food, conver- conversing, and there was no, no, what can I say? There was no discrimination. Everybody was welcome. It doesn't matter what color, where you were from, what you did. Everybody sat down at the dinner table and the magic happened. So that was another thing you realized was the community was an important part of it, especially with yeah. people traveling to a country they might be for the first time, really don't know a lot of people there except those they travel with. And to be able to hang out at the hostel, you know, mm-hmm. have dinner with people, break bread, you know, hang out. Right. That was a, a big part of the experience. And one of the things I love that you did was, you know, you took this one thing, which was the hostel place to lay your head, 
you had the food component. And then you start to lean in and say, okay, what are other things I can do to make the experience in Ecuador in general easier for our um, our guests? And is that what led you to launch the travel agency as well? Yeah, so it's actually a natural progression. And so the first thing that happened is the hostels. We had an amazing experience there. Then I went, we did a program and a friend of mine that was here in Oregon, he was a teacher for a dual language program. He's like, I've always wanted to take my kids. They're about to graduate down to another country so they can actually practice their Spanish. What do you think? Do you think you can do this? And I was like, hell yeah, that's easy. Just let me know what you need and I'll take care of it. And so we had a program that came down um, from, from, uh, from West Salem High School here in Salem, Oregon. And they helped us grow. And then during the time I was on a tour with them, I met Ovi, which was a, he was a guide and they gave him, gave us a guide for free. And he was it. He had this charisma, man. Sometimes you just pick up on people's talent and he had this charisma. He would point like, he's going that way. And this is the mountain over here. And that's the waterfall. And everybody kind of like, he enchanted you with the way he talked about things. I was like, this guy's amazing. I don't know what's going to go on, but Hey, do you want to come and volunteer for us at the hostel in Quito? And he would like, yeah, I can do that. So he came the first time, came the second time. And I used to do on my own a walking tour of just the market, a free market tour is what I called it. And Ovi was actually a guide. And when I walked in there, I was like, oh my God, this is great. You know, it's culture. This market is amazing, actual Ecuadorian food. And then Ovi is like, hey, can I come with you? And I was like, yeah, for sure, man. And so he came with me and I was kind of scared because he's a like a certified guide. <laughs> he's guided people on courses all through Latin America. And then I get down there and I finish the tour and Ovi's like, hey, man, what do you think about making this bigger? I'm like, what are you talking about? He's like, I used to guide a free walking tour in Peru. I've always wanted to do this. I was in Cusco and in Lima and I've been wanting to do this here. What do you think? And I'm like, you take care of the guiding side. I'll take care of the business side. And that grew the free walking tour. And then naturally, the reason I say it's a natural progression is because once that was created, we had traffic. And people from everywhere, because nobody was doing this in Ecuador. It was like we innovated. We opened the market to the walking tours. And then everybody asks you information as a guy. They're like, hey, how do I, you know, um, go to Quilotoa? How do I go to Cotopaxi? I want to go to the Galapagos. Who do you recommend? And we were like sending them everywhere else. And we're like, why don't we just bring this in-house? Because we were realizing that everybody else was paying a commission that was shit. And so on a Galapagos tour that they were making $200, $300 on, I was making 10 bucks, you know, on another tour that was a $60 tour, I was making a dollar. And I was like, all right, let me look at the math behind this. And so I went into doing some research. I'm like, well, you're making 200 bucks. You're paying me 20 bucks, bro. Like that doesn't work out. We're giving you the client already. Like we're creating this bond. And we were like, all right, let's open the, the travel agency. And so that led into the travel agencies. What point did you decide to do the brewery? The brewery was uh, something that we, so actually three of the guys that came down with me to Ecuador and this is, they were there. We parted ways with the first brewery that we decided to open together. Um, and that one has been very successful and they continue to open up. The one that I, when I met you is afterwards, I, um, we decided with some friend, he came down, I was like, KP Kyung was his name. And I was like, do you want to come down to Ecuador? And he was like, yeah, I want to go down. And we figured out and it was just, I wanted a distillery. My vision was a distillery. He said, in order to distill something, you still have to make beer. So why don't we do the brewery first? And then we go over to the distillery afterwards. And while I didn't agree with it, I went on with what he said. And we decided to open that up at that time. 
Um, but yeah, it was just a, something naturally. I knew that we had about like in Quito alone, we've increased from 24 to 44 beds. And on top of that, we had a walking tour that was pulling in about 50 people a day. And then we had a bar crawl and food tours. And so I knew that through what I was doing, I could funnel people into, I could make sales, right? I could p- get people over there to buy stuff and to do it. And I knew I had a vision for food. So that was kind of a great thing that was in the back of my mind. At its height, what was bringing in your main source of revenue? Was it the the hostel still or was it the walking tours? Hostels. The hostel. Walking tours, the model, the business model of a free walking tour is very different. Yeah. So it's just, yeah, the hostels is my the bread and butter. Now, I just, I just think that's important because one thing we're all guilty of is shiny object syndrome, you know, yes. and it's like, but you got to protect the asset. And, you know, for you, your asset was always the hostel. It was like the thing that drove drove the people to come to Ecuador in the first place and that yeah. drives revenue to all your other ventures. So I was curious to hear, you know, after you got all these other ventures up, if uh, they surpassed the, the hostel or not. But it uh, sounds like uh, the hostel was still the, you know, the key asset, the, the main foothold. And one thing you talked about briefly was when you're managing all these different aspects of your business, the brewery travel agency, everything. You can't do this stuff alone. So you had partners. I mean, what was your process for like managing all of that? Um, in my case, so for the travel agency, my cousin Carla, which I want to give a huge shout out. She was my shout rock. Carla. Yeah, Carla. <laughs> I love you, Carla. Yeah. Shout out to Carla. We love you, Carla. Yeah. You'll probably meet her when I visit in, uh, in New York. But you know, she's a, she was my rock right? Like Marco's a dreamer. Marco's a driver. Let me go, right? Us entrepreneurs, we're going to drive, right? I'm in the front of the bus. Let's go. She stabilizes behind me. She was able to do that. That's the same thing that happened with somebody. Um, her name was Jitske. You know, she was also a stabilizer. She was somebody that was setting up and did the hostels also for me. But Carla was the first one to show up and she took care of the admin and allowed us to grow and gave us that opportunity to give it, give a good growth model behind. And so that was, that was it. Um, with the hostels, I never gave equity away with the travel agency. Carla was part, part is partner still at the travel agency. Um, Ovi, when we opened up the walking tour, I was also like, you're going to take care of this. We're going to go 50, 50. But then afterwards I just decreased my percentage because she was doing more of the work in that stuff. And in the brewery, we had three partners. Um, and that was it. We just divided it between the, us equity but yeah other than that and the travel agency that was basically it but carlo was like overlooking everything that we did what um or did you have a holding company for all of these or were they all separate business entities they were all separate business entities yeah i'm curious about how people kind of organize their structures around this stuff you know see the stuff we're talking about on this mm-hmm. podcast this is the real stuff yeah. right here you know so yeah. I, again i appreciate you sharing some insight around that so talk to us about some lessons learned from your entrepreneurial journey um, thus far, and then your future plans post COVID. Um, yeah, I think one of the biggest lessons is make sure you do your mission and your vision and your values at the very beginning. And that will solve a big problem about what decision-making can come afterwards. Mainly because when you start to think about like how to make a decision, is this employee worth being here or are we gonna let them go? You know, at a certain point, you have to accept that that conversation shouldn't be in between two people, the manager and the owner. This happened with me. It should be based on the values of the company. And that's an important thing to do, right? Because it's not, hey, is this person performing at that? Because I have a preference for him. I work very different than my manager did at that time. 
And so we got into a little bit of an argument about it. And she was like, no, you know, he doesn't, he's not good. And he said he wanted to leave already. And I'm like, in my head, he's been a great employee. And I was like, you know what? It'll be great to like, how do we recuperate him? That's what I'm more interested. How do we get him back to where he was before? What's going on? How do we develop him some more? And so we had very different thought processes. Well, at the same time, if you have those values set up, Rel, you'll be able to say, you know what? Oh, this is how we can do it. You know, this person fits this. Is he a community? Is It's called community hostel, right? Is he a community member? Is he creating community? Is he trustworthy? Is he on time? Is he respectful? Is he honest? All those things. And that would have been something important to do. I think also another big thing would be take care of the financials from the get-go and take care of them well. If you can get somebody to do the finance, the accounting and stuff like that for you, do it. Eventually, I think that was one of my biggest failures that I didn't see as well is because I was basically in a way, sometimes you think you're like printing paper. (laughs) And when you do that and you're like well off, you're like, Oh shoot, you know, nothing's going wrong. Everything is going fine. And you didn't really take care of everything and you're not taking care of the costs that could be that little bit extra of money coming in or solving little problems and stuff. What kind of book recommendations or articles do you have um, for our listeners? Maybe even some podcasts, you know? Um, yeah. What resources? I mean, really, what resources do you recommend for our for, for our listeners? Uh, the Lean Startup is great. I think they're an amazing. Uh, it's an amazing book. Um, the one Connect is one that I've been actually listen, uh, reading right now, which is actually from Stanford. It's the Touchy Feely Interpersonal. Uh, course that talks about how to really connect with your and have better conversations with your people um and i don't know how to scale i think is the name what's the name of it i don't remember off the top of my head of the podcast that i listened for for business um just read hoffman the founder of linkedin oh blitz scale yeah is it blitz scale? it's or how to scale or something about scale it is but i don't yeah, i don't think it's, it's blitz scale yeah. Well, I'll look it up and I'll, again, I'll, I'll add it to the show notes. But yeah, while you've got our listeners, Marco, first of all, it's been a pleasure sitting here chopping up with you today. It's been too long since we've been able to do this. But while you have the Bunker community tuning in from all over the country, all over the world, you know, what yeah. final thoughts, remarks would you like to leave them with to uh, as they continue on their entrepreneurial journey? And second, how can we as a community support and uh, elevate your efforts, you know, post COVID. Cause I, I one thing I, I, I wanted to hear you share about too, was, uh, you know, what's life looking like for you on the other side of this pandemic. Yeah. And I can start off with that. Um, I'm currently living in Oregon and waiting for tourism to pick up back in Ecuador. In the meanwhile, I'm in this pursuit of launching Marco's travel deals. <laughs> and so the actual, uh, a shout out to myself. This is Marco Fialo coming to you live, they say. <laughs> and it's uh, marcostraveldeals.com. It's basically knowing the back end of what business is for the travel agencies and the markups that we have. And so we sell, basically, I mark up a price and then I put it on Viator on Airbnb as an experience. In Airbnb, they take a 30% commission. Viator, they take a 20%. Expedia takes a 20%. Travelocity, they take that big commission. And so what I'm trying to do is get you straight by subscribing to the newsletter for free. You would basically get straight these deals in your inbox without having to pay this commission to them. And instead of that, getting a discount and helping the local economy to grow versus these big conglomerates that are just taking over everything online and that you're not able to really meet the people that do the business with you until you actually go. So that would have been something that that I would hope you guys could help me out with. 
regarding the hostels, I'm thinking December, January timeframe is when I'll go back. I'll probably do a little bit more traveling if I get a chance. And I'm here stable in Oregon. Anybody around the Pacific Northwest, I would love to meet up with you all. Um, and what I do down there, you can look it up. It's called Community Hostel, Community Adventures, Free Walking Tour Ecuador. Um, and you can look it all up through, oh, Takiti Travel. <laughs> I sometimes forget about everything, man. And, um, and then uh, it's called community, uh, communitytravelgroup.com is where you can go to see all the companies in one place. Awesome. So that would be it. So any final thoughts, last remarks for our listeners before we let you out, let you go? Uh, yeah. Take care of yourselves, guys. This entrepreneurship is survival of the fittest, but not because of that means that you have to drive yourself to the ground and be alone and leave everything that matters in this life. Remember to look out for your family. Remember to do as much as you possibly can and to have some compassion and love for yourself, too along the journey and to remember that there's people out here that are here to, for a resource, man. If you ever need a phone call, you need a friend, somebody to talk about business, shoot the shit, you know, don't feel alone. Sometimes the top is lonely. Remember to appreciate the people that are there with you in this battle, because you know what? Day to day, if you're an entrepreneur, what you're really looking for in my perception is time, right? That's what money buys you. Is it time to be with your family, with your loved ones, um, with all the people that you really love and care for. And remember that I think the biggest thing is just remember to that to measure success, not with what anybody has, but what's important to you. Whatever it is that you think success means to you, that's all you need. Whether that's $1,000, you know, every month coming in and enough to live and to just be in a good place, whether that's skiing or snowboarding on the beach uh, and, and the mountain or skiing <laughs> and doing stuff like that, whatever it means to you, do that. That's what's going to drive you and make happiness. Not all about money, the material things, all that stuff doesn't matter. It's the people and the connections around you and the love that you have. And these experiences that we have with people like Mike and, and everybody else, that's the most important part, bro. Well, Marco, I appreciate you getting on the podcast and dropping that knowledge to our listeners here at The Bunker. Mm -hmm. um, where can people find you at? How can they follow you? Uh, you can Marco Fialo. It's F-I-A-L-L-O. Uh, you can um, you can either email me at marcofiello at gmail.com. You can look up at Marco's Travel Deals because I'm the face of that. Uh, you can go to LinkedIn and Facebook and Instagram. So I'm all over the place. Y'all heard him, man. Add him, on link add him on LinkedIn, follow him on Instagram, show Marco some love. And uh, we're looking forward to you reopening your hostel. And I intend to travel down to Ecuador either this year or next um, for our listeners out there, do us a favor and subscribe to the transition on iTunes, Spotify, or whatever listening service you're using today. I'd greatly appreciate if you left us a review and shared this podcast with someone in your network who you feel can benefit from this information. I've said it before and I'm going to say it again. I'm on a personal mission to impact 10,000 veteran entrepreneurs and military spouses. That is a big task and that's something I can't do alone. And so I need your all's help to do it by help getting the word out about this podcast. Be sure to get connected at Bunker Online. Uh, at, correction. Be sure to visit www.bunkerlabs.org to get plugged into the Bunker Lab ecosystem. Once you go to the website, just select the city nearest to you, sign up for the local newsletter, and attend one of our networking events. It's that simple. From there, get connected at Bunker Online, where you can learn about our many different programs to support your entrepreneurial journey. We have programs that will take you from idea to invoice, incubate you, and position you to grow alongside other founders and CEOs. Register today by clicking Connect at bunkerlabs.org. Until next week, everyone, peace, love, and have a great rest of your day.